I think we should be banterful, but without being non-reverential. Absolutely. I yeah. think banter can be reverential. I think it should be. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Right, should we do this thing? Uh, I don't see why not. Can't think of any good reason not to. Brilliant. <laughs> One, two, three, go. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Catholic Banter Podcast. It's great to be with you. As before, I'm Jack Regan. And as always, I'm Lizzie Wakelin. Brilliant. Um, how have you been, Lizzie? What have you been up to? I mean, we've just been talking about this among ourselves for I the last know. 10 minutes, but, you know, for the benefits of the listener, how, how are you? I am very well, thank you. Lots of exciting things going on in my life. Um, still doing my weekly meeting with the ladies uh, on Zoom to help build my faith, which is great. Um bit of exciting home life news i'm looking to move house despite lockdown things still go on um so my hubby and i are quite excited about that at the moment and uh work wise i might be getting to go to lewis on pilgrimage soon with as a bit of a, of a retreat so that is also very 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 cool cool so everything is coming up lizzie everything seems to be shining down on me at the moment yeah holy spirit's been very generous recently how about you yeah life is good again i look at my life and i think it's like there's some kind of divine creator in charge of the whole thing <laughs> um, family life continues to be beautiful work life um continues to be great as well i love my job even though it's a bit difficult at the minute um yeah i can't complain at all everything is absolutely tickety boo great and i can't believe i've just used that word on the pod tickety boo how old are you jack i know i'm not really that guy I'm 42. I don't really use the word tickety boo. I'm not. I'm neither old nor posh. Oh, okay. No, you're not, are you? No. 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 Although I, I used to be. I used to be a bit posh. Can we do? Can we do a quick accent check? Have you had? Has have you had a bath lately? I haven't had a bath lately. No. Oh, how's <laughs> how's the garden looking? Have you got much grass? <laughs> grass and the thing is when you think about it the, i should just explain to the, to the listeners that since i've gone up north my accent's got a bit northern like i was listening to the the uh the last podcast and i said that phrase i said last podcast without thinking i've, I've kind of my, my my a's have gone northern they have but i used, I, used I, they, I did used to live up here and my accent kind of changes depending on where i am very quickly and i just kind of pick up bits from everywhere i've been but no i was gonna i was gonna say when i came to england at the age of 11 i had a really posh accent um and i that that didn't go down well at school in derby so i kind of made an intentional effort to speak more like the derby kids oh really yeah much to my mother's disgust i'm sure um, I yeah tried to develop a derby accent and what what's stuck is kind of just a hodgepodge of everywhere i've been yeah. but really without the word tickety boo <laughs> No, I think you should add it in. I think you should say it every day. I think it's a really nice touch. I'm a youth worker, Lizzie, like you. How well do you think I'm going to do with the young people of today if I start using words like tickety-boo? Oh, really good. I think they'll like it. It's better than trying to be gangster, isn't it? And downwit to youth and all that. Yeah. Stuff. Although I spent years of like jokingly pretending to be gangster um, in it and down with the yeah. youth. Only problem with that is sometimes people don't know you're joking and that's a little tragic. <laughs> Just be authentic is the best thing to be. Authentically you. Yeah. It's all you I think can so. do. I think, if, I think if young people know you love them, then they will respond to that, even if you don't know what the word pen means. <laughs> 
Someone called me Peng in the street once a little while ago. I had to look it up on uh, on uh, whatever it is. Have I just been insulted or have I just been complimented? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think it was a compliment. We've got a new team starting at my work. Shout out to the Castle Rig team if you're listening. Um, I know some of them do. The, um, and we've got a, like a, a new team WhatsApp thread and it's great, but some of the language they use, it's like, oh man, I'm old. So maybe, maybe, maybe that is just who you are. Maybe you are tickety-boo. Yeah. <laughs> God, I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so today, um, those of you who follow the podcast regularly, um, both of you, will know that two episodes back, we did part one of this Mythbusters thing, Things That Are Wrong. We started looking at things people believe about the Catholic Church that happen not to be correct. And I was listening to that episode in the car on the way home today, just to kind of get it back in my head and remember what we talked about. And if you remember, what we said was that in the first half of that, we were going to talk about things that kind of the world, mostly non-believers, think when they look at the Catholic Church. Today, we're going to do it slightly differently, and we're going to think about our Protestant brothers and sisters, our non-Catholic Christian friends, and things they maybe look at the Catholic Church and think, ooh, that's a bit weird. Aren't we, Liz? We absolutely are. Um, And we're going to start with a really common one, um, and that's to do with Our Lady, with Mary, uh, Mother of God. Um, because we have a devotion to her in the Catholic Church. We, we do. honour and respect her. We have a lot of prayers dedicated to um, her so that she may intercede for us. And I think that's quite an important word, isn't it? Intercede, because I yeah. think a lot of people could consider it as idolatry that we're worshipping Mary. And I think that is one of the major problems that other people from other denominations, sort of how they perceive it. But it's, that's not yeah. right, is it? That's not what we do. No, we, we venerate Mary and we honour Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 47. Henceforth, all ages will call me blessed. That's what we're doing. We're calling her blessed. Mm. Okay. We look at Mary as a great symbol of what it is to be Christian. In, in a way, she was the first Christian. She was the first disciple of Jesus Christ. She is somebody who gave a great uh, yes to the Holy Spirit and enabled Jesus to come into the world. Theologians also talk about um, what's called the typology of the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, She was the New Testament Ark of the Covenant. She carried God into the world. And the Ark of the Covenant was always seen with a great amount of respect and esteem. Catholics believe Mary is without sin. And that kind of reflects back in some ways to the Ark of the Covenant being a perfect vessel, although there's a little bit more to it than that. But yeah, Mary, we like Mary. But here's the thing. Mary is not God. Mary is not divine. When we pray to Mary, we're not saying, Mary, do this for me. We're saying, Mary, can you give your boy a nudge and ask him <laughs> to do this for us? We're asking Mary to pray with us and for us. And that's really important. It's very much like the wedding at Cana, isn't it? Like Jesus had the power to help out and I guess deep down he knew he was going to help out but yeah. she interceded on behalf of um, those people to kind of nudge him into his first miracle and say come on you can do something I know you can do something why don't you just crack on and and it's no different really she's in heaven she's still next to him nagging away like any good mother <laughs> that's a really good point that's a really good point and there's that little bit in the account of the wedding at Cana where Jesus says woman my hour has not yet come in other words, what Jesus is doing is he's saying, oh, mum. <laughs> but like he he knows he will act. He knows he will mm. do something Absolutely. just as he will answer our prayers. You know, if, if 
you know, because clearly we'll play, pray to him directly as well. But, um, you know, she's just kind of giving him that little nudge to maybe kind of think about the timing a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. And I want to say a little bit about the saints here, because um, a lot of our Protestant brothers and sisters have a, a problem with this whole idea of saints. Sure. Um, we believe saints are two things. We said this a few episodes ago. We believe they're a great example. We also believe that they're praying for us. They're not doing anything. They're praying for us up in heaven. The way I always explain that is like this. Okay. Do we believe in heaven? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Do we believe heaven is already up and running? Yes, we do. Um, well, that's been controversial in history, but the vast majority of scripture scholars will say heaven is not for the end of time. Heaven is up and running now. Okay, so we're all good so far. The next question is, are people in heaven aware of what's going on down here? Well, certain passages in John's Gospel and elsewhere would seem to suggest that they are. And that's kind of the majority view, I'd say, among scripture scholars. Yeah. So we believe in heaven. We believe it's already on. We believe there are people there. We believe they're aware of what's going on down here. So the question is, if there's people in heaven, if they're aware of what's going on down here... Why on earth wouldn't they be praying for us? And also, you would ask your friend on earth to pray for you, wouldn't you? You've prayed for me, Jack. Exactly, I've prayed yeah. for you. Um, so, um, so there's no real reason why you can't ask our friends, the saints, to pray for us as well. Again, it's you know it's perceived as idolatry, um, but or can be perceived as idolatry, but. It's not. It's just about kind of, as you say, having a role model, but also just asking someone you know to be really holy to say a few prayers for you, um, which you would do here on earth. This thing is a team sport. We all back each other up. Um, a couple of days ago, I came across the reading. Um, I can't for the life of me remember where it is, but Jesus is in a building. This is depicted in The Chosen as well. And these people lower a disabled man through the roof and Jesus cures them. Actually, I'll tell you where I came across that. I was reading a bedtime story to my little boy, Timothy, and uh, we've got this book called Bible Stories for Children. Yeah, kind of a lift the flap pop-up book, so that was one of the stories in there. As every good Catholic family yeah. should have, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're really, really brilliant books. So uh, <laughs> they're mostly baptism presents, actually, and presents for other people. Aww. But uh, yeah, they're brilliant, brilliant books. Um, but that was in there. But there's a great line in that story where Jesus says, no, the gospel says, and seeing their faith, Jesus got involved. Yeah. Okay, there's this line, and seeing their faith. Mm. So Jesus decided to cure the guy because he saw the faith of the friends. Mm. So actually, if the saints in heaven are praying for us, which they would be, God's not going to say, yeah, shut up, mate. I want him to ask me himself. No, 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 it's a team sport. Mm. God's going to respect what the saints are saying in heaven just as he's going to respect what people are saying down here. And actually probably a little bit more so mm, mm, definitely definitely so that's mary and the saints that was easy what's next yeah it was yeah by the way can i just say something before we go on please um, do i want to say something about protestants about our brothers and sisters outside the catholic church um you guys are awesome Amen. you guys are absolutely brilliant we are not the type of catholics who think we are kind of superior no you know as catholics we believe we have more of the fullness of the truth but we definitely think you guys are brilliant. We definitely think we're going to see you guys in heaven. And I actually think in a lot of areas, so many communities outside the Catholic Church are actually way ahead of us in pastoral practice. We have a lot to learn, I think. From... Yeah, if you look at worship music, if you look at things like the Alpha Course, you know, like your whole attitude to evangelization, your whole attitude to actually talking to people who turn up at your services and... <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, not making them feel like they're lost and stopped off <laughs> for a coffee. You know, there's so much that's good yeah, um, yeah. in non-Catholic churches. There really are. And, um, you know, I love worshipping with you guys. I love praying with you guys. We're definitely going to see you guys in heaven. The reason we're doing this is just because from time to time, I know I've had Protestant friends say to me, what about Mary? What about purgatory? What about salvation through good works? So this is the, the first half we did. You know, that was about that was about conversion. That was about bringing people into the Catholic Church. This one, I mean, if we have that effect, that's great. But it's mostly just about answering questions, keeping a bit of a dialogue going. Yeah, absolutely. And you're quite right. You're quite right. There is so much good um, that goes on because um, it's about relationship with Jesus Christ at the end of the day. So absolutely. There's, there's an old joke, which is um, this guy gets up to heaven. Yeah, it's a good and, joke. Uh, good joke. St. Saint, Saint Peter says, right, I'm going I'm to. How do you know what it is? There's about a million jokes that start with this guy gets up to oh, heaven. Oh, I know. I know. I know. <laughs> You've just known me for too long. OK, so this guy gets up to heaven <laughs> and um, St. Peter says to him, OK, I'll, uh, I'll show you around. So uh, over here, you know, and there were a group of people kind of bolt upright singing very old hymns. They're the Presbyterians. All oh, right. OK. And then uh, it takes him over to another place and he says, those guys over there with their hands in the air. Yeah, they're the sort of charismatic Pentecostals. Oh, OK, that's great. Yeah, yeah. And those guys over there being all friendly, all with it. They're, they're the Anglicans. Oh, OK, great. And then he gets to a kind of an area that's sort of hemmed in by a brick wall all the way around. And he says, what's this? And St. Peter says, oh, yeah, that's where we keep the Catholics. They like to think they're the only ones up here. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good. It's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah. It's an oldie yeah. but a goodie. But we are not those kind of Catholics. There's not. going to be other people up there. Absolutely. If we get there, yeah. Jack, it's quite an assumption. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> Where might we go if we don't get straight to heaven? Oh, that leads us to the next hey. one. You see, we believe in. We believe in this thing called purgatory. I can do a segue, me, Jack. I can do a segue. Yeah, you can. That was, that was smooth. <laughs> that was that like just that just crept off on me. That was brilliant. I like it. Yeah, we believe in this thing called purgatory, and Protestants don't like the idea. Um, the Orthodox as well, I believe, don't quote me on this point, uh, even though this is being recorded, I think the Orthodox aren't quite so keen on the idea of purgatory, at least as we understand it. But yeah, we believe in this idea of purgatory. We believe that when we die, if we're kind of if we've kind of hit the standard for salvation to get into heaven, but we're not quite perfect then we undergo a period of purgation, a period of purification. Is that about right? Yeah. Um, it's often referred to as like heaven's waiting room, isn't it? Which is kind of a yeah. classic way of describing it. Um, but I think I understand it as God is a merciful God. So he's not going to want to send you to hell if he doesn't want to. You know, if you if you've if you've not been horrendous, uh, he's not going to cast you that judgment upon you. But because of who God is, to be in His presence in heaven, we do we have to be purified to a certain standard. Mm. Um, and so it is this place where there is a certain amount of suffering, but that the idea of purification is like we're rough stones, right? And um, we're in a river. This is kind of why the suffering is you know we're in a river and that river is bashing us about but it's smoothing off those rough edges and making us 
shiny and perfect and only the shiniest and most perfect of the stones can get into heaven so if we die and we've still got a little few rough edges that need polishing then purgatory's then purgatory's that kind of final rock polisher that does the job before we can get into the pearly gates um, and meet with god in that in that eternal joy yeah the way that Scott Hahn explains it is really, really good. He says two things, because the purgatory is kind of associated with this image of fire. Mm-hmm. I mean, people like Cardinal Ratzinger, Pope Benedict, tell us that actually we don't have a clue what it's like. Mm. He actually proposed that it may be something that we go through in an instant at the point where we die. Mm. But that's theology, that's speculation, we don't know. Mm. But this image of fire has always been associated sure. with it. And Scott Hahn says that actually when we think of fire, we think of torture and suffering. But actually, most of the time that fire is used in scripture, it's the fire of God's love. Yeah. It's not about suffering. He also says that although purgatory is not explicitly mentioned in the Bible, it kind of rests on two scriptural planks. Um, And they're both from the letters of St. John. In the letters of St. John, don't ask me for exact references, but it says in there, nothing unclean can enter heaven. Nothing unclean can enter heaven. Mm -hmm. It also says in um i think in the same letter or maybe in one of john's other letters that there are sins which don't lead to damnation you know there are sins which i think the language used is do not lead to death Mm -hmm. so actually you've got to put those things together yes we can be saved in a state of some sin but nothing unclean can enter heaven put those two things together you've got to have this period of kind of rock polishing purgation fire of god's love whatever you want to call it before we get through the pearly gates Mm. Mm. great so what's next oh i know what's next i'm just looking at our whatsapp thread here and in our whatsapp thread what i've written is catholics don't care about the bible well i think you've kind of disproved that you've been quoting scripture quite nicely this evening i mean maybe not exactly but you know roughly where stuff is (laughs) I've, i've got to say though you know I've got to kind of hand it to Protestants on yeah. this one, in a way, because actually we in the Catholic Church are woefully ignorant of the Bible. Yeah. yeah. Um, I give a basic introduction to the Bible talks from time to time. I kind of just give a roadmap of the Bible showing roughly the shape of it. And I talk about the fact that in the Old Testament, you've got two periods of exile. Then you've got the kingdoms in between the exile and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Catholics don't even know that. Mm. They don't even know the very, 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 Mm. very basics of it. So actually, there is some mileage in this. But it's kind of not our fault because we weren't encouraged to actually read it for a very long time, were we? True. Um, So... I think it was Vatican II when we were actually finally encouraged to pick up our Bibles and read it for ourselves, which was, yeah. you know, in the scheme of things, very recent history. And, but I think I think one of the major concerns is because a lot of religions are, or Christian denominations are, are based on scripture alone. Um, and I think the problem rises because we, we are, we base our faith on scripture and tradition um and the magisterium as well don't we so i think that is where some of the confusion comes in of people think well we'd we'd rather listen to our pope than to read a bible um but i trust that the pope knows the bible so (laughs) maybe he's studied it and knows more about it than me so what he says Mm. is actually probably uh more profound than anything i could come up with on my own um so (laughs) So from my point of view, um, 
that's that's why or yes scripture is wonderful and praying the scripture is wonderful because god can speak to you directly but when it comes to an understanding of the texts the theologians that are out there and have gone before me know so much more about it than me that i'd i'd quite like to hear what they have to say about it yeah. i mean it's interesting just to give people a sort of a brief summary of the difference in the positions catholics believe in what we call apostolic succession we believe jesus started a church resting on his apostles and we believe that the bible well the new testament certainly came from those apostles and came out of that church mm -hmm. um, it was the catholic church in the fourth century that actually decided upon the canon of scripture decided what books are in and what books are out when the reformation came along the protestants obviously threw out that idea and so they picked up the bible and they said well the sole authority rests in the bible mm. now as Tom Wright points out, the Bible says very, very little about its own authority, um, simply because all of the letters that were written in the New Testament, with the possible exception of the book of Revelation, they were never intended to hang around. They were written to certain groups of people in certain times and places to fulfill certain needs. So actually, this idea that, that anyone back then intended the Bible to remain and stick around as a sole authority, um, it doesn't really hold up. Mm. Now, a lot of great christian organizations who take the bible as their only authority have come along over the years as we were saying earlier no doubt about that whatsoever but yeah as catholics we believe that the bible came from the tradition and therefore we believe that only the tradition can authoritatively interpret the bible mm, mm. i think that's a very good summary jack very yeah well having said that though so for the catholics listening to this read your bible <laughs> there's some really good stuff in there there's really good Get stuff in there yeah, get get a book that explains it to you. Tom Wright's books, the For Everyone books, Matthew For Everyone, Mark For Everyone. Tom Wright has written all the ones about the New Testament. A guy called John Goldingay has written all the ones about the Old Testament. Jeff Cavins has written some really good books about the Bible as well. Read those books. They'll show you a kind of a way to read the Bible um, and then dive in there because yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. Jeff Cavins actually did a really good series, didn't he? The Bible timeline really breaking down yeah. the story. Kind of like because there is a story. Yes, it's lots of different books, but there is a continuous story running all the way through that leads up to Jesus. Um, and and it's really wonderful. Um, if you can't be bothered with that, you can get a graphic novel Bible that will get you the story from beginning to end in a very nice, simple way. I'm a huge fan of that. Huge fan of that. Yeah, yeah. I've bought one of those. I think I'm going to give it to my little boy when he's a bit older because I think he'll like that. He likes stuff with pictures in it. Yeah, it's good. For, it's good for teens and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, the next point um, is another interesting sort of sticking point that happened at the Reformation. Really, there were a couple of, um, I guess you'd say, pillars of the Reformation. One was authority, which we've just looked at in a kind of a way. And the other one was justification. Um, this is a bit theologically niche. This isn't something you come across in surface discussions. But Catholics, according to some Protestants, believe in salvation through good works. We believe that... We will only get to heaven if the scorecard for each of us that's on the wall in heaven gets enough ticks on it when we've done enough good things. Have you come across this one? Oh, yeah. It's um, it's like a Tesco club card, right? Or a nectar card. You collect points. Basically, yeah. And the more points you have, the better it is. The better view you get when you get to heaven or whatever. Um, and 
I can see why people think that because there are certain Catholics I know that behave in that way. And I think other things that add to the confusion about Catholics' belief about how you get to heaven is, is indulgences too. Because, yes, we're, we're doing loads of good works. We're getting loads of cards, points on our Tesco club card. Um, but then also I can... I can get these things called indulgences, which is like bonus points on my club card to get me into heaven. Um, and so I do genuinely understand where where that belief, that you know, mis- misconception has come from. Yeah. Um, definitely. But obviously good works come through faith. So you have faith in Jesus and then the love that you receive inspires you to love others which leads you to serve them and that's yeah, where absolutely. it should come from that that the root of that those good works is is the love of of serving others i mean the the way that i explain this and it's quite you, you can get very theologically complicated very quickly on this one but the way that i explain it is at the reformation there was a bit of a misunderstanding um, and i think the misunderstanding really arose from the language that was used because Protestants believed that Catholics were going around thinking, I'll only get into heaven if I pray five rosaries every day and if I feed two poor people every day and so on and so forth. We, the idea was that we believed it was this scorecard. Okay, Catholics, on the other hand, wrongly believed when the Protestants talked about salvation through faith alone, that what some of them at least were saying was, yay, I believe in Jesus that means I'm going to go to heaven no matter what I do. So let's start sinning. Woohoo. Okay. <laughs> and um, yeah, basically those were the two kind of wrong um, conceptions that built up. Mm. Okay. And actually as uh, more and more work's been done, and certainly when the two sides started actually talking to each other, they realized that actually once they cut through the language that was being used, they really weren't that far apart. Protestants never believed by this idea of salvation through faith alone that really all you had to do was intellectually believe and catholics never believed that it was about working from our own efforts Um, what the catholic church says is that when we accept jesus christ we get given grace we get given grace i won't go over the difference between justifying grace and sanctifying grace that's getting a bit complicated but essentially we receive grace from god grace is the free and undeserved help from god that grace then motivates us to do good things and those good things have merit before god but what the catechism says is that the only works that have merit before god are works that are motivated by grace and by the holy spirit things we do off our own back to try and score points doesn't work and actually at the point where we accept jesus into our lives at the point where we say yes i'm going to follow you i renounce my old way of life i'm all in at that point if we're hit by a bus even though we haven't done a single good work, guess what? We're still good. <laughs> so actually, in reality, we are pretty similar on those points, which is awesome. And I think this is the beauty of like ecumenism, isn't it, really? And getting to know our um, other brothers and sisters in Christ better is that we discover that actually we do have quite a lot in common. Um, and to to delight in those similarities. Um, mm. So, yeah. When I chat to Protestants, one thing we find is that actually we're far closer than we realise and we all have a very strong faith in Jesus Christ. We also discover that, yes, there are some sticking points. There are some things we don't agree on. But by and large, I find we're able to say, you know what, that's okay. 
we can disagree on that there's enough in common mm. to mean that we can get on with praying together there's yeah. enough in common to let us get on with a common mission yeah absolutely what's yeah. the last one so i wanted to um chuck in one of the um sacraments that is it's, it's, well you know i think we can all share in common the fact that we remember the last supper um and we celebrate communion so as catholics we obviously believe that the bread and wine becomes the body and blood of jesus christ um we believe in that transubstantiation other christian donations might have sort of remembrance services where they they have bread and wine but they don't believe that that change takes place um but i think that something that's unique to catholicism is is confession and i think there is sometimes is a a misconception that we sort of feel that we can do what we want, behave how we like, but it's okay because we can get the slate wiped clean just whenever we want to pop along and go to confession and then we can leave that little confessional and carry on as we were before. Um, and that's possibly not even just our Christian brothers and sisters. That's probably a uh, an opinion held more widely. I think a lot of mob gangster videos where uh films where like the the gangsters are like oh i'm sorry father i've killed another person and then goes back back to being a gangster again probably don't really help with that <laughs> and there are people like that of course yeah there are but um when used properly confession is a real growth point it's an opportunity to really reflect on who you are and how you are and whether that is an offence to God or whether it's um, your life is, is spent praising him and it's an opportunity to reconcile with him. I think the real problem lies with, um, well, why do I have to tell it to a priest? Can't I just tell God that I'm sorry? And again, we're so blessed in the Catholic Church because we believe that when um, the priest celebrates the sacrament he is in persona christi so it's jesus sitting there hearing your confession and it's jesus sitting there forgiving you and absolving you of your sins um so it's like if you've upset your friend or a member of your family you wouldn't sit in the next room and just think i'm really sorry i've upset you you'd go into the next room and you'd say i'm sorry i've hurt you and they would forgive yeah. you and the relationship would be reconciled um, and it's exactly the same with confession you have the opportunity to sit down with Jesus and say I'm genuinely sorry and you can hear that you're forgiven and that gives you such freedom um, and really restores the relationship to a point where you can genuinely start again and really want to live your life um, how he how he wants you to live your life yeah yeah I mean a couple of really important things to say um, firstly, it's it, again, it's quite well grounded in scripture. I mean, uh, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus says to Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church and I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatsoever you bind on earth, so shall I bind in heaven. Whatsoever you loosen on earth, so shall I loosen in heaven. You know, the church is given authority. That authority is backed up in John chapter 20. Jesus say, you know, says to his disciples, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, those whose sins you forgive will be forgiven those whose sins you retain will be retained yep. so the church has this power in the early church the way that they tackled sin was that people had to stand up in front of the entire church and confess their sins which frankly is quite a scary idea and didn't they only get like one shot at it you get you've got like one confession 
<laughs> Basically, yeah. Had to time so that right, that, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the idea that the church has the power to forgive sins or not um, has been around for a very, very long time. A friend of mine used to say that going into a little box with a priest, the alternative to that isn't going into your room with God. The alternative to that is standing up in front of the entire community. So, you know, take the money and run, people, because it's a good offer. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that I always add as well is... We believe that certain things are required in order to make the sacrament valid. Mm. First of all, you have to be honest. You can't hold back things. Anything you've deliberately held back is not absolved. Also, we believe in this idea of a firm purpose of amendment. So when you go and confess your sins, you have to have the intention to actually not do it sure. again. Yeah. Now, if you go in and you say, um, Father, I've done this and you go out and you slip because you're human then you know fair enough you try again that's christian life that's discipleship but if you go in there thinking father i've done this wink um <laughs> intending to go out and do exactly the same thing again then that's not a firm purpose of amendment mm. so actually the the absolution is not um efficacious it doesn't work and actually if the priest picks up that you don't have a firm purpose of amendment um, he will withhold absolution. Mm. I heard a story once about a lady who went into confession and confessed a sin. Mm. And she said, but Father, you know, I don't know how to stop com um, committing this sin. I've got no intention of stopping committing this sin. And the priest said, well, that's not a firm purpose of amendment. I'm not absolving it then, mm. Mm. as he should have done. Quite right. Quite so, right. yeah, it's not it's not kind of a spiritual version of being bad at brushing your teeth and getting a scale and polish every three months no but i hope that priest gave her some kind of pastoral care and didn't just send her off with a flea in her ear that's that's my concern that he was like nope but i'm sure he would have sort of journeyed yeah, with her I mean, that... to get to a point where and I, I think that's what we should do we as christian brothers and sisters we should hold each other to a level of accountability shouldn't we um definitely and I think that's something we're not particularly good at in the Catholic Church. Um, but we're also quite terribly British and we don't like to uh, <laughs> have any kind of confrontation. <laughs> yeah. So if I, see, Amen. If, I, if I see you're sinning, I'm not going to get in your face and tell you because I don't, I don't want to upset you. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, yeah. I think, it's, I think it, there's a certain level of healthy constructive stuff that you can say to some people sometimes to help them in their faith because you love them um and that's what pastors in any christian community should be doing mm, mm, that's yeah. the end of our list it is any final thoughts we haven't talked about what's nourishing us lately jack what's nourishing you Ooh. at the moment you know what's nourishing me is the fact that i get to go to mass every day and i'm ridiculously lucky in that regard Aren't because you? so um, blessed yeah, I'm currently working, I'm currently doing handover with a priest. Um, shout out to Father John if he's listening. Um, I doubt he is, but he's a great guy. And uh, he says Mass every day and it's live streamed and I get to go every day. So I get to go to Mass every weekday, which is really, really nourishing me, which is absolutely lovely. What about you? Almost the entire polar opposite, Jack, in that I'm not getting to go to Mass at all. <laughs> but in a way... Um, it's deepening my prayer life because I'm having to seek 
the kind of nourishment that I would get from the Eucharist and from attending Mass in a slightly different way at home. So um, in a way, it's kind of a weird blessing because it has it has deepened my prayer life and, and my relationship with Jesus um, because I've had to be a lot more intentional about how I spend time with him. So, yeah. When Mass is back, you're just going to have a double whammy, the best of everything. I know. Can you believe it? Yeah. And Mass is coming back really soon. You'll see my halo glowing from where you are, back up north. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, did we did we talk? I know we were talking before we started recording. Did we talk about the fact that Mass is coming back at the beginning of the podcast? Uh, mass is coming back. Mass is coming back. I know. I've got. You got footballs coming home in your head there. No. Just me. Just okay. you. But yeah. Yeah. Mass is coming back, and I'm really excited about that. I'm. Uh, Really grateful to all the people working hard as ushers to try and make mass safe and comfortable for people. Can I use this opportunity to get a message out there that doesn't seem to be getting out there and has caused a lot of concern? Sunday obligation that has not resumed. Mass is coming back. What doesn't mean you have to go. There's been a lot of people that are still shielding or live with people who are shielding that are like quite concerned that like, oh, my goodness, I have to go to mass because it started again. You don't have you don't. to. You can still stream it. Um, and we don't know when that obligation will return. Or even if. Can you imagine? What do you think of that, Jack? I, To be honest, years ago, I used to say to people, and I was being very facetious. I never thought it was going to happen. I didn't necessarily think it should happen. But years ago, I used to say to people that the Catholic Church should remove the Sunday obligation because if people didn't have to go, how hard would parishes have to work to make people want to go? <laughs> it would revolutionise our church. It would make so... Just imagine if our parishes... Yeah, just imagine what would happen if our parishes realised we're going to get no income and we're going to be out of a job unless we can fill this church. What's the plan, folks? Yeah. That would be Interesting. amazing. I mean, a lot of parishes are almost there anyway, to be honest. I mean, I... I read an article once about holy days of obligation and how the author just hates that terminology because it sounds like such a chore, like, oh, I'm obliged to go to church. I have to go to church. I must go to church. It's got quite negative connotations to it, whereas she likes to think of it as a holy day of opportunity where, oh, I get an extra chance during the week to go to mass. Isn't that awesome? And so I think that's an interesting kind of psychological um element that you have to take into account really if people feel obliged yeah. to do stuff they're like oh i don't really want to um i was once um i was once a party to a conversation where a young lad said to a priest this was when christmas day fell on either a monday or a saturday i can't remember which uh, it must have been a monday actually and the lad said to the priest father do i have to go to mass twice and the priest said, no, you get to you go, get to go to yeah, mass twice. Yeah, yeah. And that's the attitude we totally should have. It's phenomenal. Um, but I think I think we do suffer a little bit from, oh, it's Sunday. I better go to church, you know. Um, but maybe those people won't be coming back to mass. And as sad as it will be to lose people, um, it might cause a kind of renewal because of. Um, people feeling like let's let's revitalize and renew this this church i mean back in the 60s joseph ratzinger who later became pope benedict who we've already mentioned once in this podcast we mentioned him in most podcasts oh and can we pray um, for his brother who died 
Oh, yeah, sad news, very sad yeah. news. But yeah, Josef Ratzinger said back in the 60s that it may be that what we need is a smaller, more faithful church. Mm. Mm. In other words, a kind of a falling away of the cultural Catholics. And actually, I think that needs to happen before we see real renewal. Controversial, perhaps, but I do think that. And if it's going to happen, it's going to happen now. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah. Mm. I think we're in the final stages of the post-Vatican II decline. Mm. And I think when that's complete, it's going to start building up again. But I really feel like the Holy Spirit is moving um, in the church. You know, the more I get out and speak to people, there are some hugely dedicated, faithful people out there um, who really want to see that renewal. So I'm I'm really hopeful. Mm. I've said it all along. The Holy Spirit is going to use this time to work some surprises. Amen. And in a few years' time, we're going to look back at this time and we're going to say, oh, God used coronavirus to do that. That's clever. Isn't it? He is clever like that. Yeah. He is clever he like is. that. Very much so. <laughs> now, before we go, folks, a couple of things to remind you of. I normally forget this stuff. If you want to get in touch with us, please do. We'd love to hear from you. We're on both Twitter and Facebook. In both places, we are Catholic Bants. Catholic B-A-N-T-S, all one word. Short for Catholic banter, a phrase which was unfortunately registered on both platforms. <laughs> so we are Catholic Bants. Now, talking of Catholic Bants, talking of things you can do, if you would like, we would be very, very grateful if you went to the iTunes store, give us a five-star review, give us a nice comment. It'll only take you a minute. It won't cost you any money, and it will mean we rise up the charts and become more popular. And that's just what the world needs, right? More of Jack and Lizzie. <laughs> More Catholic banter. More Catholic Absolutely. banter. <laughs> Whose turn is it to pray? I can't remember. I think it might be my turn. Go for it. <sighs> so we come before you, Lord, aware that where two or three are gathered in your name, you are present. And I read something beautiful about how we don't have to be gathered in the same room. We can be gathered via Zoom and I assume via podcast. So we gather in your name, Lord, and we give thanks for this time that we've been able to spend together exploring some more of the great teachings of your wonderful church. We give thanks for our Christian brothers and sisters and all that they do in your name. We pray for Pope Benedict and for the repose of his soul, repose of the soul of his brother. Um, and we pray for all those who are considering joining the Catholic faith or exploring what God means to them at this time um, of suffering and detachment from society. Uh, may your Holy Spirit come upon them so that they know your love and pour your spirit of courage on them that they may take those steps of inquiry towards coming to know you. We ask all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, glory be to the Father, and, and to, to the Son, and, and to the Holy Spirit, Spirit as, as it was in the beginning, beginning is now, now and, and ever, ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Amen.